0: How are Opportunity Zone funds responding to the ongoing coronavirus pandemic? Find out why one Opportunity Zone fund walked away from $500 million worth of real estate deals last month. Coming up next on the Opportunity Zones podcast. And today I am joined by Calibre CEO and co-founder, Chris Loeffler. Chris joins me from Scottsdale, Arizona. Chris, thanks for coming on and welcome back to the show.
1: Great to be here, Jimmy. And thanks for having me back.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, great to be speaking with you again. And I'm speaking from my home office today in Fort Worth, Texas. And I, I suspect you're speaking from your home office as well under stay at home orders due to the coronavirus pandemic. Is, is that correct, Chris?
1: Yeah, we were able to very quickly, about four or five weeks ago, transition all of our 80 employees to a remote work environment. And so far, our team has been uh, coming together, doing the, the, the remote happy hours and, and getting a lot of work done. So we're still operating successfully as a business, just fine, but uh, we're, we'll all look forward to the day we can go back to the office.
0: Yeah, definitely. That's uh, that's the case for many of us, right? It's uh, This has been pretty tough times on a lot of us all over the country, all over the world really. And I'm sure we'll all be happy when the coronavirus pandemic is over and we can return to return to normal life. And uh, we'll speak about coronavirus a little bit more later in the show and specifically how it relates to opportunity zones. Uh, but first, I want to introduce you a little bit more here, Chris. Uh, you were on the podcast with me last year, actually. You were on one of my June episodes of 2019. Uh, we first met each other and and sat down for a, a chat at the SALT conference in Las Vegas last year. And for those of you who haven't listened to the show, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that episode with Chris and I. But uh, for, those, for those who haven't had a chance to listen to that yet, Chris, can you tell them a little bit more about Caliber and what makes your fund unique?
1: Yeah, so Caliber is in the business of building wealth for high net worth individuals and for the advisors that serve them specifically through real estate private equity funds. We've launched over seven discretionary private funds at this point in time in in our 12 year history, as well as another 15 or so syndicated offerings. And among uh, other things, beyond just doing the fund side of the equation, we're also an active asset manager. We are a um, real estate developer, general contractor, real estate broker. So in essence, we offer a vertically integrated platform for individuals who want to grow their wealth with real estate to come, meet the company, get to know the people, understand the strategies that we have currently open in the market, and then invest. And so, because of that, we about two years ago became one of the largest Opportunity Zone fund sponsors in the Southwest region, focused on Arizona, Colorado, Texas, Nevada, Utah, and Idaho. And uh, we invest in what we call middle market real estate. So that's projects we buy between $5 million in value and $50 million in value uh, across the board, different types of multifamily, office, retail, hotel, industrial, you name it. So ultimately we're an investor looking to buy the best possible deal at the best possible project, transform that project, build value along the way, and then share in the profit with our client.
0: Good, good intro there. Thanks for getting us caught up. Uh, yeah, Caliber's done a great job so far. I know you guys raised a lot of capital pretty quickly out of the gate. That was actually one of the main discussion points of our first episode. Um, I want to turn our attention now to coronavirus, like I mentioned at the top of the show. Uh, the economy's largely been shut down uh, throughout the vast majority of the United States, and uh, the government has responded by introducing and passing actually three different pieces of coronavirus response legislation uh, as of the recording of of this episode here in in the middle of April and possibly another huge coronavirus stimulus package on its way here shortly in the next few weeks i i believe over 2 trillion dollars have been spent so far uh chris how will this pandemic and the government's response, the, the stimulus package, how, how do you anticipate it's going to affect opportunity zones in both, both the uh, short run and in the long run?
1: You know, I, I think that the best way to answer that for me, at least for this entire podcast, is to stay focused on the opportunity that will come out of the change that's occurred in our market. And I, I do think to a certain degree, it's a permanent change in how we live our lives. Um, My wife is a nurse. Um, She's on the front lines of the coronavirus pandemic. We are exceedingly uh, worried about our community and the health and safety of all the people that we employ, as well as everybody we know and touch. And so I don't want anyone listening to this to think that I'm ignoring um, the risks or the safety uh, that that needs to be focused on. And, and, And yet, I think the most value I can bring to the table for this conversation is to focus on. What comes next? What what will occur based on my knowledge and 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 skill set? And and to give you an idea of where that comes from, we started Caliber in late two thousand eight. So I built this business starting in uh, in in the world's worst recession since the Great Depression, and so a lot of our instincts, my instincts, and the company's entire culture ethos was born around operating in a in a market that just isn't functioning correctly. And that's where we find ourselves right back in today. The question is will it be a two, three month issue? Will it be a six, nine month issue? Will it be a 24 month issue? And I don't think anybody can credibly say what that is going to look like. We can look at very specific opportunities that could come out of that. And I'll sort of range those opportunities from the short term opportunities into the long term opportunities. So on the short term, you've got Um, A significant amount of developers who were, as of three months ago, at all-time highs moving projects forward incredibly quickly and opportunity zones as an investment category had finally started to take off. We got our final regulations in December and all of a sudden institutional capital sources, wealth management complexes, et cetera, said, okay, it's time to take this thing seriously. We now know what the parameters of the program are. We can finally start recommending this to our clients and so if you take that and you combine that with the coronavirus pandemic on the short term you're probably going to see quite a few developers who are in trouble with a project and as an investor there there's an opportunity for you to either be snarky in that situation or be a white knight caliber's choice has always been to be a white knight so we're looking for all those developers who got their project 90% complete and just hadn't completed their funding. To so come to us and say, I still wanna do this deal, it makes sense in the next 10 years, it may not make sense in the next six months, but 10 years from now, it looks like it'll be a phenomenal project and that's what our outlook is as an as a Opportunity Zone investor. And I'm willing to take a discount to my valuation, allow Caliber or, or a different fund to come in with a, maybe a smaller amount of equity for a larger amount of ownership than I was expecting in order to get my deal done and so we're looking at that over the next six to 12 months to be a significant driver of opportunity and for those of you who are opportunity zone investors i mean you know will the market get back in t- two months six months or nine months i don't think anyone can tell you but in 10 years will owning even in a hotel which has been in the hardest hit category be a good thing to have uh, in on a tax advantage basis absolutely and so I think if you look at it on a short-term basis, there's a lot of opportunity there. I'll, I'll pause there, but I've got more to say when it comes to to operating businesses and other forms of investment that could come out of it.
0: Yeah, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on on that as well. Uh, and and in for for you though, uh, Chris, I want to hear about how this has affected you and. And your fund in particular, uh, in terms of the, the fundraising specifically, um, have, have you noticed any change in, in fundraising in, in the last few weeks here uh, due to the pandemic?
1: You know, as, as they say in the world of investing, past is prologue. Um, you know, the, the, the past history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. <laughs> so we're drawing right now that caliber off of our 2009 experience. And one of those experiences was that no matter what was reported in the news, it was always six months late and typically wrong. Um, I think that the window is a little bit shorter here, but the only way for us to know exactly what's going on the market is to stay active in the deal side. And so what we did in in March was we took all of the investments we were trying to buy, which is about $500 million worth of projects. Uh, and we walked away from every contract. And so we had things in contract, we had things in LOI stages. And we told all of our people, hey, look, we 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 might still want to do these uh, projects, but for the time being, we can't see enough information to move forward with them. And we do expect a handful of those to come back to us in the next three to six months with the you know the old, well, what price would you do the deal at type type mantra. On the flip side, we immediately changed how we were doing deal. And so we started going into the market and instead of spending a lot of time with the real estate brokers, who we do still spend time with, we're now spending time with special servicers, lenders, bankruptcy attorneys, uh, banks, et cetera. So all the different people that participate in the market when it gets distressed. And that does not mean that I'm predicting another 2008 scenario. It just means that I know, in order for us to be able to know that it's coming, and do what's right for our investors and make the most of it. We have to be engaged in that conversation constantly. So every week we're constantly having those phone calls. We're constantly meeting. We're constantly discussing what we're hearing. And if we start to see the market go towards a distressed uh, designation, we'll know to spin up our auction machine and our you know non-performing note buying platform and that kind of stuff. So Caliber, in general, has has really just been focused on protecting the assets we currently have, which are all pretty in, in pretty good shape, and then preparing the internal infrastructure that's necessary so that an investor who put a dollar into our fund knows that they're going to be buying at the best possible price, especially if the market does adjust.
0: Well, that's fascinating So you, you actually walked away from all of your deals in March. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. So you, you basically had to rewrite your entire playbook just about, I don't know, six weeks ago or so. What? Obviously, the pandemic was the, uh, was the catalyst for that, but I, I want to hear more about, I want to hear the story behind the decision and the decision-making process. Can you, you kind of walk us through the timeline there of, of what news you received and, and who you spoke with and, and when you decided to make that decision to shut down your deal-making?
1: Yeah, I would say it took about two, three weeks of phone calls. It was probably about two to three hundred phone calls. I spoke to people as wide ranging as the head of Deutsche Bank's wealth management group for all of North America and people on the investment banking side of Goldman Sachs, all the way to, you know, local developers, um, people, you know, who don't even have a website that you would never find in a million years if you were looking for them. Um, And getting kind of gauging everybody's experience and everybody's thoughts on not what's gonna to happen tomorrow or the day after that. You gotta go seven layers deep into the you know, into the bean dip, so to speak, uh, to think about what happened after each one of these stages clears. One of the people I talked to as an example is our one of our board members who happens to be the CFO at Primera Blue Cross in Washington State. So sitting in Seattle, he was seeing the very early stages of the first outbreak that uh, with the most unfortunate death that happened in that nursing home and was able to give me a lot of insight into it. exactly you know, how healthcare was responding, exactly what they thought would happen kind of going forward. And then we keep those inf- that information updated. And no matter what it, it boiled down to, um, it's time to change our entire thinking back to our kind of 2009, 2010 era uh, activities where, um, the five year business plan gets put on a shelf. You take the old plan out, you dust it off. Um, as entrepreneurs, my co founder and I, you know, moved through the stages of grief very quickly and right into acceptance and started moving on. The only difference is instead of having two of us in a room, we now have 80 people. So we needed to make sure that we kept our team in that same lane of thinking that our business is good, we're not laying people off. <laughs> But also we are going to change a lot of what we do and where we spend our time because we have to be prepared if the market does move into a state of distress. If it doesn't, all we do is turn the switch back on and go right back to the plan we were already on because we were on a good plan for the market that existed
0: at the time. But certainly the, you had to pivot and pivot quickly. And with a, with a fairly large team there, eighty eighty 80 people, not just, you and uh, your one business partner anymore, like it was uh <laughs> when you first got started in o eight right
1: yeah it's, it's funny when you're when you're all sitting in one room it's a lot easier to to get things done to a certain degree, but now that we have a big team but highly capable professionals um it it it's amazing once you get them engaged uh, what they produced
0: that's great that's great. I want to uh revisit something you mentioned before that you had more to talk to, and that was uh uh business investing uh and 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 how you think that might change in the wake of the coronavirus pandemic uh and the government's response can you talk to us a little bit more about that
1: well just as it relates to opportunity zone investors you know if i look at it from the investors chair what what is going to get you the most benefit out of this program it's going to be obviously the tax benefits that are in the statute But growing the value of your position in an Opportunity Zone fund over a 10-year period of time both produces the greatest uh, investment return as well as the greatest tax benefit because you pay no taxes on the growth, right? And so in a tight market when real estate development was on fire prior to coronavirus and when businesses were having a fairly easy or the easiest time historically in the last 12 years gaining access to capital, it was hard to get a deal, you know? And if you're buying at the highs, it's hard to create value over a 10-year period of time. You might have a stable business, but it might not grow in value nearly as much. And so, if you think about it today in in investing in operating companies, what's happening? There's a fundamental shift in our country where they've put trillions of dollars into supporting, supporting small business, which is really hasn't happened, at least in my lifetime. In addition, they're contemplating trillions of dollars of additional subsidies for things like infrastructure. There's a massive shift in mindset around manufacturing in America. All of that is gonna create a lot of opportunity in places that opportunity zones already exist, like Mesa, Arizona, or Tucson, or you name it. I know that the state of Arizona is already starting to build a plan to shift even further adding more manufacturing into their domestic uh, economic plan so as an opportunity zone investor you have a tremendous ability here because you have a capital gain you've got to get it into a fund now and you get to invest for at least 10 years so you can kind of move past the uncertainty of today and tomorrow and move into longer term trends that you have a lot more certainty over that you can invest in and that will be investing in you know, American made manufacturing and infrastructure and schools and hospitals and uh real estate developments and things like that that people will need and and do need currently.
0: Yeah, I think this pandemic as as horrible as it is, I try to see the the silver lining there and that is that it, it may be creating a lot of economic opportunities, uh supply chain redomestication, as you just uh were speaking of a little bit, and and certainly a lot of other Opportunities out there as well, I think it's also created a lot of opportunities for investors who have been selling stocks over the past several months at the end of last year. certainly, a lot of people were selling stocks and and uh and 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 even even more so in the past couple of months during the uh the sell offs toward the uh, end of February and beginning of March uh, a lot of them may not have had a tax plan in place in, in a lot of cases and uh and yet they have generated substantial capital gains uh, upon selling in 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 most of those cases as the market's gone up 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 over the past decade or so until the the downturn during February and March Chris what what do you make of all that what, what do you think is the opportunity there for investors who've exited the stock market in recent days here and recent weeks and and what are some time sensitive deadlines that they should be aware of
1: yeah, so in the in the case of what's actually happening in the market, you saw a lot of people sell off at the end of the fourth quarter of 2019. And then you saw that sell-off continue, obviously, during the, the coronavirus pandemic. And all of those people were probably selling for the same reason. They thought that the market might be overpriced. And they were right, um, depending on what stage they got out at, right? But along the way, while they were trying to be defensive with their portfolio, they were creating and they did create themselves a new problem, which is they now have a tax issue. And they may or may not know if now is the time to reinvest back in the stock market. A lot of people are predicting another dive or another dump in the market. And so when you look at it, say you have a million dollar portfolio, if you harvested gains and, and were able to harvest a $300,000 capital gain, then and, and you can take that $300,000. Invest it for the long term into this type of structure where you get a tax benefit, you can invest with more certainty, you can invest in real estate, be non correlated. It's an unbelievable opportunity for those investors who essentially force themselves to sell out of the market because they saw what was coming to redeploy their capital when they're still uncertain on whether they want to put the rest of their cash back to work or not. You can keep the seven hundred thousand on the sidelines in cash and wait. And see if you want to come back into the into the stock market, but put the three hundred thousand you currently have to work in a tax-efficient way. I mean that is super important right now. And a lot of people talk about you know it, it it cash is king right now and it's good to be in cash. Well, it's really not if you're undeployed, especially if you expect that the two trillion dollars that they've already spent and the probably five to ten trillion dollars that are going to be spent beyond that are going to generate inflation. Um, ultimately, real estate, aside from gold, is the best protection against inflation that's historically existed in the history of the United States. And so people need to start thinking about um, their money in a less linear format, like I got out of the market, when do I get back in? And say, I got out of the market, I can take this piece that I would have to pay taxes on and get it into real estate now and avoid some inflation down the road. And so that main deadline is if you sold stocks is 180 days from the day you realized that capital gain or when you closed that sale. If you happen to have sold out of a partnership to create your short or long-term capital gain, you have the ability to invest as long as that sale happened in 2019 up until July 15th of 2020, which is an extension of a deadline that was previously sooner. And so In essence, as an investor, you've got between the next couple months, if you sold stock and up till July 15th to make a decision. And I don't think we're going to have too much more certainty between now and then. But as a fund manager, I can tell you I do have certainty that I can take advantage uh, and make the best of this market in terms of real estate development and other forms of opportunity zone investing.
0: Yeah, certainly it's a, a great portfolio diversifier if nothing else right getting that non correlated asset um if if you're investing in real estate which the majority of opportunity zone funds are invested in real estate i think it's a it cr- creates it creates a very interesting opportunity for for investors who have sold their stocks over the past few months uh it's certainly worth looking into anyway
1: and and where else can you find a situation where you can effectively double your return on investment at the same level of risk be driven by a tax benefit As long as you execute well on this strategy, which is not easy to do, um, you can increase that return on investment significantly without taking on additional risk.
0: And you've got the tax benefit on top in this case as well. Yep. I want to turn our attention now, Chris, to the article that you published on Medium last month. It was titled Opportunity Zones, The Missing Public Narrative. Uh, You point out a lot of inconsistencies in terms of the mainstream media News coverage of Opportunity Zones, uh, and I, I I found it a really interesting piece. Uh, I wish everybody would read it, honestly, because um, a lot of people do just get their get their news from a couple of major national news sources, and they don't always like the Opportunity Zone program so much. They brand it as a Trump program, and they have their own uh, story they want to tell about it. And I think they they miss the a lot of the key points or ignore a lot of the key points of of the story. Maybe you can tell us a little bit more about what you wrote in that piece, though. Can you briefly summarize it for us?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I don't blame uh, the news media for for being who they are, which is uh, a group of people that needs to generate eyeballs um, to what makes um, the story as delicious as possible. And reporting on a highly complicated tax incentive that affects real estate gets pretty boring pretty fast. And so it's natural that they're going to focus on sort of the outliers that make the stories interesting and and generate a certain impression to the reader. Uh, But it's those of us who are in the industry, it's incumbent on us to start going into the details further because people who do have capital gains that want to avoid paying some tax and want to take advantage of this program, they're going to be willing to spend time to learn about it. So if I take it to, I basically went through five, five key points Um, One of those was coming out of a New York Times article that talks in in the Wall Street Journal as well, talking about, you know, despite heady expectations, Opportunity Zone funds are not raising nearly as much capital as they would like. And so I go through a little bit about why that is. Why aren't we raising as much capital as we would like? And and how does that change over time? And does that really, was that really a a proxy for whether or not this is a good program or not? Um, The main point there, very simple opportunity zones, uh, the law wasn't essentially final until December. So it'd been two years before we had final regulations. Well, until you get final regulations, financial advisors and the people that support the majority of high net worth individuals in the country that have these gains are not going to spend the time educating themselves on how the program works, approving it through their due diligence infrastructure, distributing those approved funds, marketing them, et cetera. And so We've really only had a couple of months now since that had happened, that we have uh, time to actually start marketing to the financial infrastructure. And until you as an investor can go to your advisor and your CPA and say, what do you think about Opportunity Zone funds and get an intelligent answer from them, including, hey, here's four funds we've already approved that you can invest in, Um, you're just not gonna see the same capital flow. I think that'll change over time. Opportunity Zones, uh, the second point, are interested in investing in projects that would have gotten funded anyway. This is where, you know, the news media has basically trashed a, a, couple, a handful of projects um, that were, you know, condo towers in Miami that were glass, you know, towers or something like that. Well, I know for a fact that before, while interviewing for that particular article in, in the Times, that there were hundreds of projects presented to them, including at least five of my own that were perfectly in alignment with the goals of the Opportunity Zone program of economic redevelopment and community development, and they chose to focus on roughly 10 or so projects across the country out of many hundreds that were just getting the benefit because, you know, they were building a condo tower. So I just wanted to make sure that people understood that, there are, that the ratio between a project like that and a project that's good and that follows the, the, the spirit of the law is significantly higher. Um, Opportunity Zone tax breaks are a result of rich and powerful insiders in the Trump White House passing a law to help themselves and their friends. The Trump White House certainly signed the Opportunity Zone law, but the law was originally created by a think tank and then supported by 50 Democrats and 50 Republicans and co-sponsored by a Democrat and Republican. So in essence, when you think about the law, it was a bipartisan law from the get-go. It was created entirely outside of the Trump administration. The Trump administration saw the merits of it and eventually started to tout it as a good law, but that's not how it was built, and that, that storyline is fundamentally and factually inaccurate. Investors are interested aren't interested in helping local communities, only themselves. You can see this in, in the reporting across the board. Yet yeah, when I talk to investor after investor, one of the first things they ask me about is the impact uh, uh, theme within our fund and how do we track impact and. Tell us about what we're doing within the the impact side of the fund and, and, and the different projects that we're doing. Explain to me how this is creating economic development and growth. Explain to me how this is helping the community. I have those conversations with investors all the time. So if that was the truth, then they wouldn't be asking the question in the first place. And then the lack of clarity in the program is stopping it from moving forward. While it was certainly true that that was the case, that storyline is no longer accurate because as of the end of last year, we now have the clarity that we need. And so you'll still talk to a CPA or financial advisor today about opportunity zones, and they'll say, well, yeah, I hear it's not really fully figured out yet. I'm still kind of just waiting around for someone to let me know that it is. And and I'm here to tell you today that we've got it. We know exactly what to do. We know how to invest. We know how to create the tax benefit for the client. uh, And we know how to take advantage of the opportunity.
0: Yeah, and then you know like I said it's I, I thought it was a great article I'll be sure to link to it in the show notes for today's episode which our listeners can find at opportunitydb.com slash podcast it's it's worth a read although Chris pretty much just uh, recapped it for you but it's it's worth diving into a little bit more uh, all five points are are spot on Chris I, I couldn't have said it better myself um, so thank thank you for writing that piece it was it was great to read and uh, I wish I wish more people would read it uh, Chris I want to talk to you about one more thing before we go today. Uh, Opportunity zone investing is largely created for, largely intended for, you know, wealthy individuals who have large capital gains. Um, Most funds out there are closed off to non-accredited investors. Most funds require that you be an accredited investor, even just to receive any information about the fund, and certainly if you want to invest in the fund. Uh, But Chris, you guys over at Caliber have created an option for non-accredited investors, which I believe uh, just went live or is going live shortly. Can you tell me a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, so you guys are one of the first to know about this. We we will make the marketing public towards the end of April, but um, it, the offering is actually live and available to invest in if people are interested. Um, before I tell you about that, I just want to give you an idea of of the Opportunity Zone industry. And so. There were about 70 billion in funds announced as at the end of last year. About seven billion had been raised. Caliber has raised 70 million out of the seven billion. And if you believe, as, as we believe, that Opportunity Zone funds and the program itself will ultimately be found to be a huge benefit to our country and potentially be extended, because that's what we think will happen, um, then you know, as a non-accredited investor or maybe somebody who doesn't have a capital gain, how do you get involved? Well. Um, We certainly can't bring non-accredited investors into our fund. That's not how we're structured, and that's a securities law issue that exists in our country that will exist for many years to come unless that changes. Um, But one thing that Caliber did about four years ago is we started building what we call our public company infrastructure. And so the company that owns a proportionate share of the profit of all of our funds as well as owns all the revenues we earn off of our fund management fees, our asset management fees, our real estate services, and all the income streams that come up from that, uh, decided to go down the path of being a public company um, years and years ago. And So we spent millions of dollars and thousands and thousands of hours of preparing for this. And the first step in that process is to issue a Reg A Plus offering that allows us to raise up to $50 million from all investors including non-accredited investors as long as they don't invest more than 10 percent of their net worth and the offering is to buy stock in caliber's global operating company so and a metaphor to think of here is you know the old metaphor in, in, in investing you can either own the gold or you can own the gold mine or you can own the picks and shovels that mine the gold. Well, in this metaphor, Caliber, the operating company, does own some real estate, so you do own some gold. You also own the gold mine in the sense that you own the machine that raises capital and that consistently creates these funds and deploys them, and you own the picks and shovels, so you own the different service lines that we provide to those funds, and one of those being our opportunities on funds. So if you're a non-accredited investor and you're looking to own a percentage of the growth of this industry, one way to do that would be to invest in our stock. To be clear, you're not investing in an opportunity zone fund. You're not getting any tax benefit from making this investment. But the reason why we went down the path of this offering was prior to an institutional listing and an institutional capital raise, which we plan to do after this offering, this gave us a chance to give our tens and tens of thousands of followers and the many hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people out, out in the world that we think would like to be able to access this type of a growth story, the ability to invest essentially pre-IPO. And so it's an exciting opportunity for Calibre. Um, I can tell you more whenever you're ready for me to, in terms of how to get access to it, but it's a way for investors to participate in the growth of this industry and build wealth along the way with us instead of being boxed out just because they don't fit the, the accredited investor guidelines.
0: Yeah, that's great. I think it's it's, it's great uh, that you offer that as an option for non-accredited investors. And yeah, just to reiterate, uh you know you you are not owning the opportunity zone fund directly and and there's no tax benefit associated with it, but you can invest regular dollars into it i i guess is what you're saying it doesn't have to be capital gains dollars because of that and um and you get access to uh to the entire uh machinery and service lines behind um what what drives the opportunity zone. Fund in the first. As long zone. as
1: you have a, a, a minimum of two thousand to invest, it can be IRA, non-IRA, uh, you know, regular fund.
0: That's great. Good, good stuff there, Chris. Um, well, Chris, it was great talking with you today. Thanks for uh, thanks again for the article. Thanks for the conversation. Thanks for your thoughts on the coronavirus pandemic and how you think it will affect opportunity zones. Uh, I think uh, given a, a lot of uh, information for our listeners to think about. And uh before we go today though, Chris, can you tell our listeners where they can go to learn more about you and Caliber and and uh that that non-accredited investor offering you have?
1: Yeah, so um two different websites for you. If you want information on the non-accredited investor option, just go to uh investcaliber.com. It's I N D E S T C A L I B E R dot com. And if you're interested in the Opportunity Zone Fund directly, you can go to CaliberFunds.co. That's C-A-L-I-B-E-R Funds.co. Last but not least, if you just want to get to know the company, our main website is CaliberCo.com. And in all cases, you can reach us and you can reach me directly just by putting in a contact form. It'll filter to me very quickly. I'm very active in talking with investors and spending time with our clients because, Uh, I believe that a a well-educated client that understands our business will typically invest and have a great experience. And so I like to spend a lot of time on the front end with our people.
0: Excellent. I think that's very important. And for our listeners out there today, I'll have show notes on the Opportunity Zones database website for this episode. You can find those show notes at opportunitydb.com slash podcast. And there you will find links to all of the resources that Chris and I discussed on today's show. I'll be sure to link to Chris's article on Medium, which we discussed, as well as the websites that Chris just listed on how you can learn more about uh, both offerings that he has. Chris, again, thanks for joining me today. It's been great. Thank you very much. That's it for our show today. A huge thank you to you, our listener. If you liked this episode, please rate and review us on iTunes. The Opportunity Zones podcast is produced by the Opportunity Database. Visit OpportunityDB.com to learn more about Opportunity Zones and Opportunity Zone Fund investing. You can learn how to subscribe to this podcast and read more about today's guest in the show notes by visiting OpportunityDB.com slash podcast. And we'll be back soon with another episode.